We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's mailbag time, Mr. Davis, and we're going to we're going to start up here. I got a super sticker from Driscoll's Intel Poker Face. I absolutely love this guy's name. I he did reach out to me cuz remember I was like I don't care if this is an insult or or a or a compliment. It's funny either way. Yeah. He reached out and said it was meant as a as a positive. So, I appreciate that. <laughs> but I just I, I love this name. Normally I don't like when my name's invoked in some people's names and stuff like that, but I, yeah. this one is pretty awesome. So I appreciate that. We appreciate the uh, the super sticker to get us kicked off with. L- let's get out here, Sean, about this one. Timeout, Tom, and, and and we addressed it a little bit. I'll let you kind of answer it now, Sean. But uh, we we answered it on Tuesday night in the yeah. the rapid fire. But uh, we'll address it again now too, because not everybody could listen to that. But timeout, Tom asks. It seems that Notre Dame's offensive line room is loaded. So what was the thinking behind bringing in a transfer? Just for clarification, they didn't bring in a transfer. They were exploring potential options. It's always mm-hmm. good to have, you know, hey, look, let's at least look into it. I think the prospect jumped the gun a little bit on where things stood. But, uh, yes, as far as why why would Notre Dame consider bringing in a transfer offensive line? They should. Unless it's an all-world guard that decides to transfer after the spring for whatever reason. Right. Let's say an offensive line coach gets a job in the NFL in the next week or so. And someone becomes available and they're all American, first team, all American type. Then, of course, you don't say no to that. You know, you explore the option. But other than that, you you have Christophic that's played. He played a lot next to Joe Alt the freshman year. He's experienced. And then you have the talented Billy Schroff and you have some other talented players behind that can that have been developed and they're ready to go. So just believe in your youth movement and your recruiting and continue to develop like Notre Dame does along the offensive line. You know, for, for me, Sean, I think you should always look to get better mm-hmm. always. And I love the young talent. There's no doubt, but that doesn't mean that there might not be somebody better out there because mm-hmm. again, what's the whole point of this? Notre Dame thinks they have a team in position to compete for a championship the next year or two. Yeah. You'd be silly to not 
bring in a guy that you think gets you closer to that mark than what you have right now. And you can say, hey, look, I think Billy Strauss is going to be a first-round NFL draft pick, but not in 2023. Right. That's going to be in 2025. Or I think Ty Chan could be this, or I think Rocco Spindler could be this, or I think Andrew Kristoffer could be this, but this guy over here could be this. And so I think they're willing to explore that. I, I think Notre Dame did a great job. It, it, if y'all knew as much as we did about the number of players that they had some sort of interaction with, you'd be like, man, these guys were out there working the transfer portal. Some of them weren't good fit. Some of them they couldn't get into school. Some of them they liked, but they're just like, he's not enough of an upgrade for us to rock that room, to kind of to 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 rock the boat, so to speak, in that room. And I think that's kind of where you are when the offensive line is. What do you risk rocking the confidence of the young players that, hey, they, they don't believe in me, so they're bringing in a transfer? Because part of it is you want competition, Sean, right? Like that's yeah. a great thing in football. But sometimes a move made to bring competition, especially when you're talking about younger players, can be seen as a you don't have faith in me thing, right? And I always bring up the scene from uh, Miracle where they brought in that other kid. But, like, those were those were veterans. Those were guys that, had, that were finishing up their college careers, getting ready to go play in the NHL. These were not freshman hockey players. These were right. veterans of that age level. They were at the top level of that amateur level, seniors, juniors, uh, older guys. So – you could play that mind game with them and they were going to handle it better maybe than an 18, 19 year old who hasn't, who hasn't established himself as one of the best. And those hockey players had already established themselves as the best of the best. best. Yeah. And so there was a level of confidence there that may not be there. If you're talking about younger players. Right. So yes, I want competition, but at the expense of maybe shaking the confidence of my younger guys, it's not worth it. Because the talent that the kid from Maryland had was not what the younger kids at Notre Dame has. He just has no. more experience and size. That's it. And so I understand why they would look in that direction. But I also understand and I'm on board with them deciding not to go there. And so that's where I am on that one, Sean, is I, I think they should explore. I think Tyler Bucker could be a great quarterback. I still think they were correct in bringing in Sam Hartman. Oh, absolutely. Because I think Sam Hartman is, is in 2023 – has a chance to be the best quarterback that they've had in a long time. I also think that if Tyler Buckner stays, that by 2024-25, he could be the best quarterback they've had in a long time. Yep. Doesn't mean he's going to be that guy in 23. And these moves are meant to, what can we do to be the best football team that we can be in 2023? Yeah. And if that means you're bringing a guard, you're bringing a guard. That means you're bringing a center. You're bringing a center. If that means you're bringing yeah. a running back, you're bringing a running back. Like if I love Notre Dame's backfield, but if B. Yeah. John Robinson said, no, I'm not going to the NFL. Matter of fact, I'm also going to go in the transport and go to Notre Dame. I'm going to be like, sorry, dude. Uh, we're, we're good here. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on. And, and that's just kind of, that's what you got to do. But yeah. Lunsford was not that type of player in my opinion. So I think they made the right decision. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here's a draft question for you, Sean. Our resident draft expert is currently in Indianapolis right now watching players work out. So that would be Brian Roberts. But I'm going to ask you this as well. This is from Antoine Porsche Rideau. He says, off subject, but what does Foskey have to do today at the Combine? So just so you know, it's going on right now. The mm-hmm. Combine is going – the first day of the workouts is going on right now. Defensive linemen are going through their drills. I'm watching uh, Moro Ojamo going through drill, workout drills right now on my other screen, the kid, the D-line from Texas. And, and so Foskey will be working out today. That's where the question is coming from. So Antoine says off subject, but what does Foskey have to do today at the combine, which starts soon, which is going on now? Antoine's question was before it started to prove he should be considered the second or third best D end in the draft. Second or third. Oh, he definitely can't get the second. Not the way Tyree Wilson is moving up. Do you know Wilson and Anderson are one and two? And Anderson you, right? are one and two. Yeah. Um, oh, this just the film. And dealing with size, right? Yesterday was very interesting. They asked him yesterday, you know, how he sets up his pass rush. And he said, I test guys out early with the bull rush. And I'm like, like, shouldn't your strategy be based upon what type of tackle you're facing? Like when you're facing Dewan Jones, big guys like that. I don't know how successful you're going to be with the bull rush. But it was interesting to see, see him saying that, I think, when he gets to the pros, some coach might reset, recalibrate his mindset, you know, when it comes to pass rushing. But he's going to test well. Like, he's just one of those athletes that looks fantastic up close and personal, right? Long arm, 6'5", 260. He's going to run well. He's going to test well. So, you know, I think he's going to do everything he needs to do. It's just a matter of whether or not people elevate his testing over what his film was overall. What what I would say, Sean, is 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 Isaiah Foskey is a very weak, it's very unique draft prospect in that mm. he has two things that you 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 want, and that's elite elite size and production. We're talking about how we didn't think he had a great year this year. He had 14 tackles for loss and 11 sacks. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not disagreeing with your point. We've talked about this. You and I are on the same page in regard to, to that. The film was not great, but he still went out there and had 14 tackles for loss and 11 sacks at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, if he runs at a freakish level for his size, that's something that could boost him way up. Because then you look at it and say, all the things keeping him from being great are at times motor, but more importantly, he has no plan. There's no 
there's no like clear strategy of this is what he's doing. There was more of that in 2021 than there was this year. And so to me, if he runs like, uh, let's say he runs like a four, five, two, right? Just something crazy, great broad jump, 10 yard split is great, has good movement drills and all. I mean, just, and just blows it away. Yeah. I could see him making a huge jump because there's going to be defensive coordinators and defensive line coaches. I'm like, look, please give me this kid. He's a great kid. It's a hard, he's a hard worker. Uh, He's, he's going to have the right attitude. He's got elite physical tools. He just hasn't been taught how to use them yet. Like I'll take a chance on a guy like that in the middle of the first round, late first round over a guy that's toolsy, but doesn't have the production. And, and that to me is the thing like we're with like Alex Leatherwood, he had he wasn't even that toolsy in my opinion, other than he was just big and strong. Right. And the film was bad. <laughs> so but like he was you at Alabama. Right. He, was an Alabama and, and lineman. he had certain things that you know people could look at. But like to me, there's a lot to like about Isaiah Foskey. Yeah. And the oh, only reason absolutely. he's falling is because of the film wasn't great. But if if he tested a way that just like you can't ignore that. But he goes out there and runs a four six something, that's really good for a guy his size. Yeah. But it's not a I'm overlooking the film because of it type of thing. He'd have to, to me, get into the four fives to have that kind of impact. In my opinion, yeah. that that's, that's where I'm at for that. I just thought it was strange that. And if you go watch the film, it's why he struggled the first two weeks against big tackles with long arms. Yeah. He had the mindset. I'm going to test him out with bull rush. You can't bull rush big tackles like that. Use your speed and counter off your speed. And then pick and choose when you can bull rush in certain situations. Right. Right. It's like, no, it's just like the way he approached it. It's kind of just different because he didn't go to his strength. Your strength is your speed and your athleticism. Like that's what you use, especially against really big tackles with long arms. It was just strange to hear him say that. Yeah, it really was. Let's go to the next one here from Broke Neck Boy. Watching the USC and Miami game from 1988. Now those both of those games will put you in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question, I'm sorry, that was me. That was me monologuing. The question is this, Sean, from Broke Neck Boy. Watching the USC and Miami game from 1988, the amount of points they scored was good, but the amount of turnovers they caused between those two games is crazy. Now I, I will say this, Sean, ab- about the points. The one thing to consider is that. Points were different back then than they are now. Mm-hmm. And and Notre Dame averaged 32.8 points per game in 1988, for example. And 32.8 points per game in today's era would have ranked them 32nd in the country with Duke. Back then, however, it ranked 14th. And so uh, that that was actually a pretty – they were a pretty explosive offense for their time. And so, and especially when you consider how much they controlled the clock, that yeah. even adds more to the points they scored. <laughs> so I would say that 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 scoring that many points was back then was I was a high, like the Miami Notre Dame was a high scoring game back then. Nowadays, you look at it, you're like 34, 33, or thirty, you know whatever it was. Like ah, okay, like whatever, it's it's, it's a good game, but uh, yeah. you know thirty one thirty. But no, that was a that was a man. I can't believe Notre Dame gave up thirty points. It's a lot of points for this defense. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, they turned. They forced a ton of turnovers. And the thing about the Miami game too, Sean, is what was the, what was Steve Walsh's like uh, stretch of like not turning the ball over? 
Yeah. He was going on some some insane Same. stretch of not turning without the ball. an interception. And they, yeah, and and they hadn't they hadn't sacked him in a long time. Like he mm-hmm. hadn't been. I don't think he'd been sacked all year at that point in time. And when you consider who Miami had played up to that point in time, Sean, that that meant a, that meant a lot. They had already played Michigan at that point in time. Uh, I believe they had already played. Let me look up their schedule. I believe they had already played Florida State. Yeah, they played Florida State, Michigan already by that point in time in the season. Because back then, they, was, I think they opened up with Florida State. Opener. Yeah, yeah, yeah 31 yeah. to nothing. Florida State yeah. was the number one ranked team in the country coming into that game. Michigan coming into the season uh, was ranked uh, – let me see here. Michigan was ranked in the top ten. They were ranked ninth. They fell out of the top ten because they lost to Notre Dame in the opener. Yeah. 19-17. to 17. And then the next week, and or if you're if you watch the Catholics versus convict documentary, you'll remember that the Michigan was up big in that game on Miami. Yeah, and Miami came back and won it. And then the next two weeks they played Wisconsin and Missouri, who neither were very good. Wisconsin especially was really bad uh, back then, but Missouri wasn't wasn't very good either uh, back then. With you, you know, do you know who Missouri's coach was back then, Sean? Here's and here's one for you. Do you know who their coach was in 1988? You're gonna laugh when I give you this name, Woody. Widenhofer, remember the guy who ended up going to Vanderbilt Vanderbilt. after that? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. he was Missouri's coach. They went three, seven, and one that year. Uh, yeah, so he ended up going to Vanderbilt. So 88 was his last year in Missouri, and he got hired again at Vanderbilt in 1997. Yeah, but they they weren't very good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, that to me is a big thing, Sean. And that's what we're going to talk about the defense very soon in one of our shows. Believe me, Sean and I have a lot to say about the defense. We might actually, that might actually be a good RTCF show, Sean, because I know we have, we both have a lot of feelings. Yeah, on we haven't that done one. It. yeah. And so we'll, we'll maybe do that on this Saturday, talk about the defense a little bit. Uh, but uh, yeah, the turnovers are so important. And that's always been true. You got to be able to limit them on offense and force them on defense. Yeah. And, and you, you look, the Clemson offense against Alabama in the 2018 game was was really good, but don't think that that turnover, that pick six at the beginning, wasn't the catalyst for what came next on offense. Right, it absolutely was. When you can yeah. force turnovers, especially in big games, what was the the initial turning point of the game in in 2018 Cotton Bowl? Because if you look at the first two series, Notre Dame established a tone early. Their first drive, they were running on Clemson. They yeah. got a first down. If it wasn't for Chase Claypool just dropping a wide open third down, Notre Dame is moving on that first drive. There was a there was a run play. I think it was the first drive where the Notre Dame offensive line literally just Dexter Williams ran into the back of the line and they just went like six seven yards forward. They were moving Clemson. That game changed when I believe it was the second series of the game. I believe it's second down. Ian Book climbs the pocket, gets stripped. Doesn't throw it to Miles Boykin open on a post rock. Gets stripped. Because yes. now, now well, let me backtrack. Notre Dame punts, pins Clemson deep, and just I mean the defensive line just like for that first series they overwhelmed Clemson. Like Trevor's like scrambling and throwing the ball away. Punt. Notre Dame gets the ball near midfield. Ian Book. I mean you're you're you've got momentum. Like you haven't put points on board. You got momentum. Ian misses a chance to hit Miles Boykin and instead holds onto the ball too long. Climbs into the pocket late. Gets stripped. Clemson recovers and goes and gets a field goal. That completely changed the momentum of that game. Yeah. If on that play he hits Miles Boykin on that post instead of get, instead of the turnover, yeah, we're talking about a different game here, right? And so yeah. those things are huge, huge in big games. And so to me, that's where I look at it and I say, you know, like like LSU Georgia this year, 
LSU came out moving the ball pretty good against Georgia early. <laughs> they kicked that field goal, gets blocked. Yeah. Like LSU was looking pretty good out the gate. Get that field goal blocked, which and then you return it for a touchdown. Like that's a turnover. Yeah. Those are big things in big games. And 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 getting that er, Frank Stams on that early sack on on Steve Walsh that forced the fumble was a tone setter for that game. Big time tone setter. Like, hey, yeah. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many games it's been since you haven't turned the ball over or been sacked or whatever. You haven't played us. And I absolutely, man. And then, of course, the turnovers in the USC game were big too. But I, I think Notre Dame had already started to overwhelm USC before the big turnovers. And I, and I don't know how many turnovers they forced. I remember the one the Smigala had to pick six, obviously. That was a big yeah. one. And I know they forced a couple. But, man, they had Rodney Pete scrambling from Running jump. Running for his life. From jump. Knocked him out of game. the game for a little bit. Yeah, the tone of that game was different than the Miami game. USC was clearly the undermatched team from the get go. The Miami game was more even, and it was the turnover. I mean, because they and the thing is, is like they both turned for. If Miami doesn't force a couple turnovers of Notre Dame, Notre Dame's got a much bigger lead, lead yeah. in that game too. Yeah, and so both of those teams did a good job of forcing much needed turnovers. Where USC was just not on the same. I mean, I know they were ranked number two and all that, but there was a big difference between USC yeah. and Miami that year big there difference <laughs> there was big difference there was because the what the strength of usc was really their youngsters that were on the sideline because like the next year when they come with marinovich in 89 and they pretty much held the lead that's you know a notre dame stadium for the majority of that game notre dame turn a ball well that's another game too you talk about the impact of turnover that's, sean that's notre dame had like five turnovers that game that's when their defense became the Willie McGinnis. They would he's that young class was the defensive class at USC that was starting to get on the field. So their defense took a step up and kind of matched Notre Dame's. And like you said, Notre Dame was just sloppy that offensively yeah. that day until the fourth quarter when Tony Rice just took it over. Do you know the issue for me back then with USC, why Notre Dame dominated USC the way that they did under Lou Holtz? Is is it comes down to if you want to if people that don't understand like what, was USC just bad some some years they weren't very good but there were some years where USC was pretty good and Notre Dame dominated them mm-hmm. Notre Dame was kryptonite for USC because USC was a fast West Coast offense yeah and Notre Dame was kryptonite for them for two reasons one they were just so much more physical than USC and number two USC wasn't faster than Notre Dame. They were faster than everybody else. They didn't have better athletes than Notre Dame. And this is this is the thing that is co- the constant from younger folks who didn't watch, like older folks like us, Sean. We we know how athletic that team was, but younger folks don't. I don't think they appreciate just how explosive athletically that Notre Dame team was back in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah. I mean, they could run with anybody. I mean, that's that's why they that's why they won two or three out of Miami. I've said this before. In a five year stretch, I think Miami won three national titles in five years. The two years they didn't, they lost to Notre Dame. Yep. Right? And and they only played each other three times during that stretch. They didn't play them in 91 and 92. And, and so to me, or no, they won four titles in, in – uh, two titles in four years, excuse me. But it was, it was Notre Dame was their kryptonite. It wasn't Florida State and all their athletes. It was Notre Dame because Notre Dame could punch them in the mouth and still run with them. Right. And that's what the 93 thing certain ways. The reason Florida State couldn't beat Notre Dame offensively the way that other teams did is because Notre Dame had legit NFL athletes in their secondary and up front. 
so they could beat you up physically, but then they could still run yeah. on defense. Now, that team wasn't as athletic as the 88, 89, 90 teams, but it still could be that way. Those 88, 89, 90 teams, Sean, were as – I mean, when Ricky Waters is, like, not in your top two from a dynamic <laughs> athlete standpoint on your offense, you're pretty flipping dynamic, right? Yeah. And that's why USC was no match. The thing that a lot of people don't give Miami enough credit, especially the Jimmy Johnson version of Miami, is they were physical. They weren't just fast. Yeah. They were physical. They had legit NFL guys in the offensive line and legit, like, I mean, they had like two years in a row, like, or two, two kind of units in a row where they had, I mean, Russell Maryland, you had Cortez Kennedy, you had Jerome Brown. I mean, they had legit NFL guys. So, Notre Dame wasn't the same kryptonite to Miami that they were to USC where they just dominated. I mean, Notre Dame could turn the ball over five times against USC in 89 and still beat them Yeah, because they just, you know, they, they couldn't handle that. Miami was a little bit different. Notre Dame, Miami was a team that, that, that would bully people in the trenches defensively. And then their offense was high octane and explosive. And that's what made them so good. They couldn't do that to Notre Dame because Notre Dame had Pat Terrell. Stan Smigala wasn't an NFL guy, but Stan Smigala could fly. He was really fast. Yeah, you know they were really athletic on defense. Michael Stonebreaker was one of the most athletic linebackers in the country back then. It's hard to tell that because I, I just always felt like the pads made them look less athletic than they were. To be honest with you, the big lumbering pads and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But offensively, like I mean, you had Ricky Waters and Rocket Ismail and Tony Rice. I mean, you're gonna go find a more dynamic trio of athletes on anyone's offense yeah. back then than that trio. And against USC, they even sent Tony Brooks and Reggie Brook, Reggie Ricky <laughs> Waters <them> home. home. <laughs> you know, absolutely. So uh, that's what made them so special, and that's where Notre Dame's got to get back to. Is yeah, it's good to be able to beat people in the trenches. But what makes me excited about this team is not that they just that, but it's like I think they have legit skill. I mean, I think they have a cornerback tandem as good as anybody in the country. I, I really do believe that. We'll see if I'm right or not. I think their receiving core is far more dynamic and athletic than people realize it is. And they have guys on offense that are home run hitters that they just didn't utilize last year, partly because of injury, partly because they didn't use certain guys. That's what gets me excited, Sean. Mm-hmm. And that's why this coaching stuff needs to be correct because I'm really bullish on this Notre Dame, on the skill on this Notre Dame football team. Yeah. They just needed the right trigger man. And last year they didn't really have it because Tyler went down and he wasn't that good in the first couple games. Uh, he was better than people thought, I thought, against Ohio State. The offensive line is what let the offense down in that game, Yeah, uh, not Tyler Buckner. But this year, it's a, it's just a different animal, and it has me pretty fired up. But I, I was – actually, you know what I was doing the other night, Sean, is I was actually watching 93 games because mm. I'd watched a lot of 88 this, this offseason, but I hadn't watched a lot of 93, so I was watching the uh, Michigan State game and uh, the USC games from 93. And then I uh, watched the uh, – the the onward thing that Notre Dame does the yeah. the twenty minute video they have of breaking that game down you yeah. know the, the 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 production Notre Dame just had me fired up you just think of all the hype going to that game and <laughs> it was like if if Clemson and Alabama prior to twenty twenty one would have played in the regular season it was that it was that like if if Notre Dame and Bama would have played if if Clemson and Bama would have played in the regular season in two thousand nineteen yeah after they just both won multiple titles and, you know, just were dominant. Like it, it would have, it was that kind of game yeah. one versus two. I mean, just, it was that kind of hype. And, uh, uh, it's, I'll never forget that, man. I'll never forget that. 
but that was a fun season. Kevin McDougal with that really long, awkward thrown motion, but he could get it where it needed to go, he man. Got it where it needed to be. Yeah. Here's a here's a super chat from Cuba Puig. Thank you very much, my friend. Whose Heisman Trophy run was more impressive? Joe Burrow and the talented LSU team or Cam Newton's Auburn team? I think I'm more impressed with Cam's teams. Well, I think you're kind of asking two different questions, though. Which Heisman run was more impressive or which guy putting a team on a shoulder was more impressive? From a who, the, Whose championship run was more impressive? Cam's. Because Cam had to carry that team a lot more than Joe did. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so that's part of it. And number two, uh, there was, I mean, well, yeah, it's, that's really it. I mean, his run was more impressive. He was, they yeah. were more dependent on him to be like, if you take Cam off that Auburn team, they're eight and four. They're middle of the pack. Yeah. If you take Joe Burrow off that LSU team, they're still 10 and two. They're just yeah. not elite the way right. that they were. And so to me, the championship run that Cam went on was more impressive to me. The the Heisman run for Joe Burrow was more impressive, though, for me, just because he was just – that was so uh, such a more fun offense to watch. And the other right. thing, too, is, you know, Cam didn't exactly always light the world on fire in 2010. There were a lot of games in 2010, Sean, if, if you remember, where you know Cam didn't actually play that well. He would then step up late and make some plays. Yeah. Like he played kind of crappy against Clemson, to be honest with you, in that game that year. But he made plays and he went seven of 14 through two picks, but he made the money plays to win. And it wasn't a great game. Clemson team, right? right? It was a Clemson team that went six and seven. So he, he didn't really play that well that year. He had some other games where he was better and some games where he was a, a freak, you know, like the second half against. Alabama was just like, I mean, that was just, it was unreal. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't what Vince did, but just some of the plays he made in that game, to, they were down, what, 21 to nothing in yeah. that game, something like that mm-hmm. at halftime, yep. right before halftime. But Joe Burrow was just a, an unreal trigger man for that offense. I mean, just unreal. Yeah. And so Heisman run Joe Burrow, championship run Cam. Was that fair, Sean? I mean, Makes sense. Yeah, what Cam did for that university and for that program was absolutely amazing, amazing. But people that were with him at Florida saw that right. on a daily basis. Like he was just a he was an immature immature kid at that point in time, and he was behind Tim Tebow at that <laughs> point. At that <laughs> point in time, I think yeah. that's kind of been his big issue throughout yeah. his career. But yeah, he was behind a freak as well. Another yeah. freak yeah. quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Very good question. Let's get to some more here. We've got one from D Rock Irish. Any thoughts on the proposed rule changes to speed up the game? I shared my thoughts on this the other day, Sean. I'll allow you to share yours. So it's basically clock runs after first downs, uh, clock runs after incompletions once the ball spotted. Uh, can't call consecutive timeouts. And what was the fourth one? Um, Turn what the fourth one was. I don't, don't the, look. I don't understand this whole time thing. I don't know who they're talking to. I'm fine with my Saturday being consumed with college football. Yeah. I don't care how long the game is. I know. Matter of fact, I need the Notre Dame game to end, the 3 o'clock game to end, and as soon as it ends, I turn over and the 6 o'clock game is ready to go. 
Mm-hmm. I don't need any time in between. So, look, that's what makes college football great, especially at the end of games, that you know from a strategic standpoint, first down means the clock is stopped. First down, clock is stopped. We can save our timeouts. Right. That's strategy. You're trying to make it too much like the NFL. Right. It's college football. Let it have its own energy, its own DNA. Just relax. Now, the, the last two you talked about. The fourth one was, um, I did look it up, Sean. It's not having untimed downs at the end of a quarter. Just carry that to the That one I'm fine. Totally back-to-back timeouts, right? Which I'm also a supporter of. Those. Yeah, I Definitely. can rock with those. I can rock Definitely. with those. Uh, the, so the one you talk about, the first down one, and to me, incomplete passes, stopping the clock. And what I would say is don't start the clock again. Just have the clock. How about lower, sh- less shortening the clock, right? Make make the play clocks shorter if you want to do something like that. Absolutely. To me. But then if you don't stop the clock with incompletions, how can you come up to the line of sc- scrimmage and want to stop the clock? Without running the play, with just throwing the ground, like right. How did you can't how spike you the ball? Then right, right. Here's the other thing too, Sean. That I have an issue. Here, here's my big overall issue. They're saying it's about player safety, bullcrap. Oh. And what? Wh- and, and the justification is well, you know, some teams have to play 17 games. Now. Then why are you having them play 17 freaking games? Right. So like, it, what you're doing is you're making moves that you think are going to make you money. <laughs> And so now you're you're like, oh, gee, we've got to make these rules to protect the players. You're the one that created the rules that are not, prote- quote, unquote, now putting in players in a position where they're not being protected, number one. Number two, if you really cared about shortening games because you're worried about oh, how long they boy. take, how about you have less? Like ho- halftime in college football is 20 freaking minutes. It's not that way at Division three level. This is what I've said. Division three and Division one basically play by the same rules. Division three games don't last three and a half hours. Why? It's because of freaking TV timeouts. That's why. You know, you'll be at games and you're like, everyone's at the line of scrimmage and we're all just standing around because we're waiting on the dude with the orange thing to get ton of go because we're back from the TV timeout. Thank you. So don't tell me it's about player safety. Here's that's number two. Number three is you're once again, you have a rule that's hurting the masses. Mm -hmm. And here's the issue. Only there's it can never be more than two teams that will play 17 games. Never, it's not possible for more than two teams to play 17 games, right? So spare me with the 17 game stuff. What you've now done too is because you're making less plays, 90 some percent of college football players are not going to go to the National Football League. So what you've done now is you've taken more and more away from their last opportunities to play football at a professional level, and and at the expense of player safety. Bull crap. Stop lying to me. Like, and if you are going to lie to me, come up with better lies. <laughs> oh, well, it's, you know, guys should play 17 play games now. Why do they have to play 17 right. games? Right. Let's expand the playoffs with more games, but yet still we want the games to be faster. Right. right. If you want the hey. games to be like some of the rules, Sean, I'm, I'm with. Here's a thought. Get rid of replay. Yeah, get rid of replay. You're getting or, it wrong half the damn time anyway. Or refine so, replay. But but Sean, like, why do we need replay? Do you know? I mean, we watch games; they get it wrong all the freaking time. Now I do all like the time. I do like the NFL where they I forget what they call it, but basically, they pretty much tell you 
Like, yo, reverse that. They'll right. call down, and it's like 30 seconds. Then, and then put a clock on it. Right. You, you can only – like, to me, what I would do is I'd only have reviews. I would only allow coaches to challenge reviews. That's it. And you get one challenge a half. Or, you, or you, you, well, you, I say you get – you can say you get two challenges, whatever. I mean, you can make the rules on how many challenges you get, right? Mm-hmm. But to me, making a coach challenge, and if you get it wrong, you lose your challenges for the rest of that half. If you give two per half or something like that, right? But I just, I, to me, because they get replay wrong so often, I don't see the need for replay. What eliminates human error? No, it doesn't, because it's still humans making that decision in the box. Yeah, There's the still box. a subjective nature to it. <clears throat> for example, remember the we've seen some of the BS targetings on Notre Dame players, and yet I got to mm-hmm. watch a guy spear Deshaun Kaiser in the face for Virginia Tech. They review it and no targeting. And no targeting. I got to watch. Ter- Tory yeah. Hunter almost had his career ended with a head-to-head Texas. blow against Texas. And they no review call. it and got it wrong. Got it I got to watch the replay completely blow a call on the sidelines with Armando Allen in 09 to completely change the course of that game, and they got it completely wrong. They got the, the fumble by Chase Claypool in the in the 2018 Cotton Bowl. They got it completely wrong. Heck, the fourth fumble with D.J. Bertrand against right. Stanford this right. year. So they, it. they get it wrong all the freaking time, so why are we wasting time on it, Right. Review the call. Review the call. You know, I mean, go with the call. Stop reviewing these calls. It, that'll yeah. shorten the game. Yeah. Well, we we need to make sure we get it right. But you're not. Yeah. You're not. And so, to me, I would say get rid of that stuff. Right? I mean, get rid of that. So, but it, because it's not about player safety. These no. commissioners, they act so, oh, it's about. But no, it's if you cared about player safety, you wouldn't have conference championship games. You would be talking about expanding the playoffs. You'd be doing any of that stuff if you cared about player safety. If you really cared about players playing fewer plays, then go back to 11 regular season games. That was true for more of my life than 12 regular season games. Yeah. Get away from conference championship games then if you really care about player safety. Why are you expanding the playoffs if you care about player safety and you want fewer plays? Why are you expanding the playoffs? Explain that to me. Well, you know, bullcrap. It's money. Just be honest. This is what I'm saying. Just be honest. Why are you guys trying to shorten games? Hey, look, our TV partners give us a lot of money, and they don't like the fact that there's a lot of carryover where games are ending beyond the start points for the next games. Be honest about it. Who cares? Show of hands. Who cares? I don't, but I don't. my my like who, who, if you're watching a game and it's your team, you're gonna keep watching your team. You don't but, care that it goes over. If you're watching a game that's not your team and your team starts at seven, like an LSU fan watching the Notre Dame three thirty game isn't gonna not switch over to LSU Alabama when, that starts at seven because the Notre Dame game's not over. They're gonna still watch the other if, game. If Notre Dame is on the Disney Family Network, then they're supposed to be on Channel Seven. At six or not six, but three, and a twelve o'clock game spills over. Then guess what? Notre Dame's going to be on ESPN, ESPN two. They're going to be on one of the networks to start the game. Change the channel, and they'll be back to channel seven when that game is done. It's 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 ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Like so, what? It's not like it's not like the game is being halted in the other uh, destination. Like we're waiting for the first game to start. No, they start the game. They start the game. 
And who, and I mean, we're not all watching from, from old school TV, Sean, where your dad says, Hey, go change a channel. You got to walk up there and click it over to one of your five channels, right? No, we all have DVR. We all have some streaming where it allows us to record things. Like nobody these days is not recording all these games anyway, if you want to watch them. Right. And then I go to my YouTube TV, I click on it and it says, you know, start, go live or start from the beginning, start from the beginning, fast forward through the commercials and I'm caught up in 10 minutes. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. so it's like, just be honest for real. Just be honest. And I if understand bit- certain people might not have cable options or whatever. It is what it is. It is what it is. Right? Because if you're the second, if you were the first game, you wouldn't want them to click away from Notre Dame at the end right. of the game to start their next game. Right. So you can't have it both ways. But how many people? And sometimes is that, it works. It works against right. you. There's and just so few people that don't have the ability to to be have a game recorded. So few people. There's very few people watching sports on just basic cable these days. But you know. It is what it is. So, it yeah, is that's what it is, man. Somebody said changing the channel of Vice Grips. Yeah. Uh, yep. Remember that? The, the thing, the button popped off, and you got to get the pliers <laughs> out and change the channel, man. We've been there. I don't know what there. else to tell you, man. I am there. I'm a patient person. I promise you. I love college football too much that if I'm watching a very highly competitive, dramatic game and I'm missing the first two <laughs> series of Notre Dame, I'll be okay. And the I'll game's going to okay. be played on the, they're going to have it on another channel, you know? So I just, but here's the thing. If you, if you want to show games, just be honest about why. If it's 44 to nothing and they're sticking around with that first sure. game. Then but they don't like, normally okay. do that though. They don't no, normally they don't. do that. They normally they go, don't. Hey, we're going to go to this game's over. We're going to go to so-and-so game. Exactly. Right. So, you know, it, I just wish they would be honest. That's what I'm tired of. I'm tired. Like the, like it, you just think we're really stupid that you're going to say this. And I'm, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired of that, Sean. I'm just so tired of the, Oh, we're doing it for player safety. No, you're not. <laughs> if you cared about player safety, you would not be asking guys to play 17 games. Nah. You wouldn't be doing it. If you cared about player safety, you'd say, Hey, we're going to shorten the regular season. If that's really what you cared about, but you're not, it's about money. And now you're taking more and more opportunities to play away from kids who this is their last level of football. And don't think about those. It's like the whole trans- they, they they never think of the collateral damage that's done with these rules. They never thought about the collateral damage with the portal. Never. Yeah. They never thought of the collateral damage with just the open Wild West NIL. And who's the first? What's the first team that gets hammered for NIL? Miami's women's basketball team. <laughs> you know, so it's just all such a fraud. And I just oh, wish that I just wish they'd be honest because I think most of us would respect it. Hey, our TV partners give us a crap load of money. That's why you have access to every single, almost every game that matters. Whereas back in the eighties was like, you had one game here and one game there. And, and, you know, Notre Dame fans don't appreciate this. How, because of how Notre Dame is always televised, whether they had the TV deal or not. I mean, 88, almost every Notre Dame game was on TV because it was Notre Dame, you know, now they got their own deal, but back then, I mean, you, you couldn't see a PAC 12 team. Yeah. Back back in the day. I mean, I get all that, right? So, hey, look, they're giving us a lot of money, and they want games to be started earlier, and they don't want as much carryover, blah, 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 blah. Like, I've never walked out of a stadium with fans saying, gee, that game took too long. Outside no. of the South Florida Notre Dame game in 2011, but that was a completely different animal. It's because no. you had like a two-hour delay in between. 
here's here's the first thing you do. High school halftime is what, 15 minutes? Division three halftime's 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. NFL halftime's 12 minutes. College football halftime is 20 minutes. Bam, right there. Five minutes gone. Take off five minutes from halftime. Yeah. Right there. Start game sooner. Stop stop having kickoff be at 706. Have it be at 702. I just saved you nine minutes right there. Right? Put a clock on replays. If you don't have the answer, here's the thing. If you don't have the answer after a minute, you don't need to keep looking. Right. Right? You you can't overrule a play that if if it takes you over a minute, it's not irrefutable evidence, in my opinion. So put a minute on it. And if you don't have your answer right there, and there's what, three, four replay challenges a game? Right there, Sean, we just saved 13, 12, 13 minutes right there. That's all you need. That's all you need. You just saved it. And then maybe, maybe trim 30 seconds uh, off of you know, certain commercials, whatever. I mean, there's so many things you could do if you really wanted to, to, to shorten games. So don't tell me it's about player safety. No. Cause you guys don't care about player safety at all. So just stop with that. You, the, the only, the only degree to the, the, that I believe the NCAA cares about player safety is to make rules that then prevent that, that then take away liability concerns for them. Yeah. So they can't get sued. I think that's, the only reason that they come up with the rules that they come up with, in my opinion. So that's my issue. And, and somebody just said, it's not time. It's pace of play. No, it's about time. Pace of play in college football right now is very fast. It is. I mean, it's the, it goes at a faster pace than any other level of football, Sean, Mm -hmm. especially with teams that run that tempo stuff. Again, there are some rules I'm all about. I hate, I hate the two timeout rule. I hate it. I hate it in basketball. I hate it in football. You should call one timeout. Now, if the other team wants to call the timeout, they can call a timeout, but yeah. you're not going to have three timeouts, right? You're not going to have back-to-back ice in the kicker situations. I mean, I, yeah. I, I get all that. I get all that. But there's plenty of things they could do if they wanted to quicken up the pace of the game. I just – I would – it's ridiculous. All right. Let's see here. Let's get to uh, this. This some more questions here, Sean from DC Irish. What team will be un, be harder to beat in twenty twenty three? Ohio State, USC, or Clemson? Will be harder to beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Ohio State. They've beaten USC and Clemson. This is mental. This is all mental for this program. Ohio State. You have to get over the mental hurdle of beating Ohio State. Notre Dame knows they can beat USC. They know they can beat Clemson. They've done it. And people are like, well, man, I don't think Ohio State's going to have a quarterback. They lost this. They lost that. Okay. I can tell you they got some pretty good athletes at Ohio State. I don't care who they walk in here with. It's going to be a huge mental hurdle to get over to beat Ohio State. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, 
It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I I think that I think it's Ohio State, and I don't think it's close. USC has the best player of all three of those teams in Caleb Williams. Yeah. They don't have the best roster. Ohio yeah. State still does. Yeah. And they're not as physical as Ohio State's going to be next year, in my no. opinion. And so it's still Ohio State. And I think then you add in the fact of what you're talking about, Sean, which is it's the mental block that every kid on this team has been every kid on this team that was that beyond the class of 2022 meaning the true freshman last year, has been on a team that's beat Clemson and USC. USC. Every one. What they haven't been on is a team that's beaten Ohio State. Matter of fact, there's not a player under the age of, what, 70? Yes. Beat Ohio State? Beat Ohio State. Yeah. You know, so, and, and uh, you know, that might even be pushing it because they just haven't played a ton and the teams they've had have lost. So I, I think Ohio State's not only the best team in there. And I think where people are going to say is, well, it's USC. Look at the quarterback. Look, first of all, Folks, Ohio State's going to be just fine at quarterback this year. I mean, just fine. Why do people like – didn't they just go through this with C.J. Stroud? Right. When he was a freshman? Or zero Richard? career passes the year before, just, right? Yes, they're going like, to be fine. At least give Ryan Day that much credit, that right. he knows how to develop quarterbacks. Right. They had a smooth transition from Dwayne Haskins to Justin Fields. They had a smooth transition from Justin Fields to C.J. Stroud. And they'll have a smooth transition from C.J. Stroud to whether it be Kyle McCord or Devin Brown. They're going to be fine there. Plus, they're thrown to the best receiving core in the country, in my opinion. Without question, the best one-two punch. We can maybe argue maybe there's some teams with deeper here, deeper there. I don't agree with that. I think Ohio State's the best receiving core in the country. Heck, and they got one of the best receiving classes. That's right. Oh, that's that was my point. Like if you say, well, depth wise, maybe this team or that team's better, but I'm like, but but they are pretty deep as well. It's not just those two guys and then a bunch of you know, it's not like you're you've got Miles Boyk and Chase Claypool and then like Chris Fink and then not a lot after that, right? right? You know, this is a different deal. They've got dudes, but if those dudes weren't there, other dudes would step up and be dudes. I mean, that's just where they are at receiver right now. So uh, yeah, they're and and if their running backs are healthy this year, they're pretty loaded at running back as well, you know? So they just got to keep those guys healthy. So it's, it's, it's Ohio state for me. And I don't think it's close. Now I'm not saying that Ohio state is definitely going to be ranked higher than USC or Clemson at the end of the year. That remains to be seen, but for the matchup against Notre Dame, it's still the harder game for me. Yeah. I think someone in the chat said, you know, Michigan exposed Ohio state. Yes, they did. Michigan proved they can beat Ohio State. Yes. Notre Dame hasn't. Correct. Correct. Because the question is who's harder for – and I would argue this, Sean. And they the didn't expose that, them this year. They exposed them last year yeah. and built on the fact that they exposed them last year. I would argue this. I think that that Michigan would have a tougher time beating USC than Ohio State because of the way that they're built. Yes, they're built to beat Ohio that's State. What the, it's about matchups. Yes. And Michigan has built their program entirely to beat Ohio State, to beat Ohio State where Ohio yes. State has built their program to beat Alabama and Georgia and Clemson. Absolutely. And so then along comes this team like Michigan who doesn't play ball like those teams and they have and and they they've been too overly confident to the borderline arrogant in those games thinking oh you know they got us last year but we're going to be fine we're going to get them this year, right? I mean they're not and they don't have a right. coach that's willing to allow his team to be physical. Right. 
when he right. has athletes. Because he has to show everyone how smart he is. Absolutely. With the pass concepts. Absolutely. So, yes, that's a great point, Sean. It's about matchups. The question was, who will be harder to beat? Now, perhaps D.C. Irish was asking that from a general standpoint. But for Notre Dame, it's going to be that. Because I think Michigan would have a hard time with USC's skill, in my opinion. I, I do. I think they'd have a hard time keeping. I mean, you saw what happened to them in the the the, the Cotton Bowl. It's TC, not the Cotton Bowl. What, what bowl game? Uh, no, yeah. no, no. I, I'm talking about uh, Michigan. Oh, oh, you're talking about uh, no, that Playoff was the Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl. Fiesta Bowl. Okay, yes, yeah. Fiesta Bowl. They had issues with a a quarterback that was mobile and a big, tall, fast receivers that, and they could run the ball. Yeah. Ohio State didn't try to run the ball against Michigan. That's a, that's the problem right there. Yeah. Both years they didn't try to run the ball against Michigan. Yeah. They just gave Michigan that. Yeah. And so football's matchups, man. It's like, why is Auburn the team that's beat Alabama more than anybody else in the SEC? Well, why, why, why is Auburn that team? Yes. Right. It's familiarity, rivalry, that rivalry aspect of it. And they were built in ways that was problematic for Alabama because mm-hmm. they were the only team willing to say, we're going to go toe to toe with you physically. Where other yeah. teams would just kind of cower and, and not try to battle them that way in the SEC. So good question, DC. Yeah. Archer four five two. Speaking of Ohio State, if you had a bet, if you had to bet a painful amount of money on offensive production, who do you who who do you think Notre Dame who do you think Notre Dame scores more or less points in twenty three and twenty two? I'd bet my mortgage <laughs> on Ohio State or Notre Dame scoring more points in twenty twenty three. Yeah. And and and. Even if I didn't have a lot of faith in the Notre Dame coaching staff that got put together, I would still say that because last year's team only scored 31.8 points per game. That That's it. I mean, they haven't scored that few of points since 2018, and that's only because of how things started at the beginning. I mean, Notre Dame scored, was it 24, 24, and 22 in the first three games. After that, they were going out averaging 40 the rest of the year. And and so that's an easy one for me, Archer. I, I I yes, if I had to bet a painful amount of money, and there's nothing more painful than you know betting the mortgage of my home, I bet the mortgage of my home that Notre Dame scores more points next year than they did this year. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to have a great offense, but scoring 31.8 points a game is when you've got Tennessee State on your schedule, when you've got Central Michigan on your schedule. Like, look, Notre Dame played Marshall last year, right? Okay, not not a, whatever. They played Marshall and they played UNLV. But the thing is, Marshall's a good football team. They are. And now, Notre Dame, there's no excuse for Notre Dame losing to Marshall. None whatsoever. But Marshall was a team last year that went 9-4 and four and only gave up 16 points a game defensively. That was, that is a, that was a, a quality, quality group of five football team. Quality group of five football team last year. UNLV was not good. And then the rest of their schedule is power five teams. This year, you're coming to a situation – where the two teams at the bottom of the schedule are just going to flat out way worse than the teams at the bottom. So you're basically replacing Marshall with Central Michigan. Marshall won nine games, gave up 16 points a game. Central Michigan last year went four and eight and gave up 28 points a game. And so it's a big difference. Gave up 58 points to Oklahoma State, 33 to Penn State, the only two Power 5 teams they played. They gave up 38 to Eastern Michigan, 34 to Bowling Green, 38 to Toledo. It's a much worse defense. And then you're playing Tennessee State, who you'll just overwhelm. So just those games alone are are going to pad the stats enough to, to keep that one rolling. So good question. 
Craig Bolton asks, what position battles are you looking forward to this spring? And do and do you see more freshmen getting playing time this fall? The, I'm going to go reverse a little bit on this, Craig. So the last part, I don't know. Uh, it would be pure guess, pure guess for me to say, oh, yeah, we're going to see freshmen play. Pure guess. It's pie in the sky stuff. Because until they until they do it, I, I don't know. I don't know how the new coaching staff is going to handle that. I don't know if they're going to scale things back at all. I don't know if the freshmen are going to be ready to play. And, and if they are, will they give them a chance? I, I don't know. I don't know. And part of that's, you know, who steps up in other positions, right? I mean, I expect the freshman receivers to play this year, for example. But what if the guys that come back just have great off seasons and just keep those guys on the bench that this staff could be more willing to play younger players and those guys still don't play more because of the veterans in front of them. So I, I just have to see it. I can't say yes on that just yet. As far as what position battles I'm looking forward to seeing this spring. Uh, I want to see, I don't know if, I don't even know if I'd call it a position battle. Cause I don't know if there's position battles in the sense that we might think for uh, like receiver, but I want to, I, I, I'll call it for, for sake of argument, I'll call what's going on at receiver a position battle because there's going to be guys, there's going to be more than three guys battling to start. But I'm looking forward to that. And I'm hoping that's a good battle, meaning they push each other and challenge each other because there's, there's some, definitely some talent there. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm looking forward to seeing the, the guard battles. I'm very much looking forward to seeing those. I want to see the safety position, kind of who who climbs to the top of that depth chart is something I'm very interested in seeing. I don't even know if we're going to see a position battle at linebacker. I, I really don't. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Al Golden right now, to be completely honest with you, to to make the necessary changes. Everything I hear from, from players, parents, and different people, it's like it's the same old stuff. It, nothing's changed. And so I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to make the necessary changes to to get younger players in the field. Uh, so I don't have a lot of faith there that 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 there's going to be legitimate position battles there. I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong on that one. But I just don't. I, I'm I'm. There's nothing I'm more got to see it to believe it mode right now than linebacker coaching. That is the most. That is the thing I'm I'm least optimistic about. And I hope that I'm wrong on that, but that's the one I'm least opti- optimistic about as of as of right now. We have another one from Archer four five two. Why does Notre Dame's official 2023 schedule graphic look like someone's Dungeons and Dragons campaign art from Microsoft Paint 2003? I don't really know what you're referring to. I don't I don't know what their schedule. Uh, their official schedule graphic looks like to be honest with you is it on their website i'm looking at their website here real quick to see uh to see what they have sean but i don't, I don't know uh I, I really don't have a clue what he's talking about here so have you seen that sean do you know what he's talking about i have not seen it but the fact that he references microsoft paint yeah that's hilarious 2003 is is funny oh okay i see it yeah I see what he's saying. So let me let me bring this up real quick, Sean. I see what he's saying. See that? Yeah, I see oh, what he's saying. I see that going for like the uh, Harry Potter Gothic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah some some Dungeons and Dragons campaign Dungeons art. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, I see what you're saying now. So yeah, I, I that's a that's a bit odd. That's not exactly the sharpest 
uh, schedule graphic in the world. So, yeah, I see where he's going with that one. All right, T-Guns with a, an interesting question. If you have to pick one to sit in, would it be morning rush hour or evening rush hour traffic? Evening. Evening. Because I'm off work. I'm off work. I'm excited. Every time, yeah. every time somebody brings up getting stuck in rush hour traffic, I have two thoughts. Number one is I'm so glad I don't live in a city that that's a problem anymore. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think you can say that, right, Sean? Do you have? To, I mean, there's places you have to go where you. Run I have, it's been a long, it's been a while since because most of the time when I was going to work, I was on the train anyway. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, I haven't experienced gotcha rush hour traffic like that in a while. The second I mean, one is the uh, intro to uh, office space. <laughs> that's a good one too that's a, I, I love it the dude the the michael bolton dude and he's like listening to scarface yeah and, and he's like singing real loud and then like a, a black dude walks by him he starts yeah. like and he like slowly goes over and locks the door and turns some music down and as soon as the guy walks away he turns back up and he's like hard again it's like oh my god because we all know dudes like that right yeah. we all know that dude that listens to the rap music, but the minute he gets around an actual black person gets real intimidated and scared and thinks he's going to get robbed. You know what I'm talking about? Like that guy that stereotypes people, even though he like take, you know, likes to claim Total that he's down and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's hilarious. We all, that's what makes stere- some stereotypes funny. Sean is like, you know, that dude, I know yeah. that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I went to high school with that dude. I know who that dude is, but then the guy that the other one is the guy keeps changing lanes and stops and then the lane he was in goes past him and then he tries to get over again and it stops and then the lane he was in, you like you all know that dude right like or that oh, dude man. has been you before you know or you're trying to manipulate the the dry and i, I say yeah i've been there i've done that yeah. yeah so it makes it funny all right archer 452 says sean if notre dame were to drop a game outside of the big three matchups which game would it so I guess I'm going to take this one from Sean. Which one do you think it could be? Not which one do you want it to be, but which game would you say outside of the big three, which would be obviously Clemson, USC, and Ohio State, would you be most concerned about if you were uh, looking at potential trap games type of thing? Mm, what is – I think I said the Duke game was a trap game, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, I just don't know if Duke has enough. But I think your concern there, Sean, if if I'm yeah. reading you correctly, I'm more concerned about Notre, Notre Dame's. Right, it's similar to the Marshall play. game. Yeah, it's the, the the your mindset could potentially be jacked up from the Ohio State game. Either a, right. you're incredibly overconfident. And there's a letdown because you just beat Ohio State, mm-hmm. or you're the emotional disappointment of you just lost to Ohio state. And I think yeah. that's what hurt them against Marshall. And then Marshall was good enough to make Notre Dame pay for that. The sloppiness, right. the mistakes and all that. Yeah. Duke can't beat Notre Dame if Notre Dame plays their game. Anywhere no. close to their game. No. But if Notre Dame comes in with the mental hangover of whatever happens the week before against Ohio state, like they did against Marshall. Yeah. I think that's a good one. I think that's a really good one. All right, let's get to the next one. It's a good point, Sean. I, I, I think that, and here's the other thing about Duke. They have at least a good enough, quarterback that can hurt you mm-hmm. yeah yep all right one own your day he's got this here he says uh if golden chooses bertrand kaiser and lufau to once again be the ones do either of you think coach marcus freeman overrule him and two will it cause sneed collie and or junior to transfer just real quick junior talk to is not a linebacker anymore 
I would put Nolan Sneed and or uh, Nolan Sneed, uh, Nolan <laughs> Ziegler into that conversation of potential transfers. So you want to answer that one, Sean? And I'll, I have some thoughts on it as well. I'll give you first crack at it. Stay tuned. Yeah, that's that's my. That's, I'm trying to be nice. Stay tuned. Just stay tuned, man. If he goes that route, I will be shocked. Shocked. If all the linebackers stay. Yep. Shocked. And if anything, if there's not a real position battle in the spring, I think it could be multiple guys look to go. And and, and now if there's a legitimate battle and guys get beat out, I think they'll understand that. But I think the concern at linebacker right now is that they won't, it won't be a real battle. You know, guy says, hey, you know, Coach, Coach Golden will tell you, hey, I need you to get up to this amount of weight. And the guy gets to that, and he's put, having great workouts, but no, 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 I need you to get to this weight now. There's just this constantly moving of the goalposts, which is all designed to make an excuse for not having to play the younger guys. Because you want to run this volume of defense, and in order to run the volume of defense, you need a more experienced player to get all the calls and do all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that'll be a legitimate concern. Now, here's the question, Sean. Will Marcus Freeman overrule him? I don't know, and I'm not overly optimistic about that because I think Marcus Freeman has, has, uh, in my opinion, taken a stance of he's going to let his coaches coach and not be a guy that just micromanages everything. I do, however, think that in certain spots he needs to maybe step up a little bit more and have more of a this ain't going to happen or this guy's going to play. And 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 we saw that in the bowl game. My understanding is – the head ball coach was not going to let 17 not play in that bowl game. It was going to happen. Yeah. Now my hope is that coach Freeman does more of that next year. Hey, 17 and 42 figure it out. Get those kids on the field. That's what you say to your linebackers coach. I don't yeah. care if they're starters or number twos or whatever. I have a difference, a little difference of opinion on Prince Collie than a lot of fans. I, I, I don't think you need to force Prince on the field. I'm not sure if Prince is an every down linebacker right now. He's barely 210 pounds. I just, I think he needs to be a guy that's in the rotation, but I don't know if he's the guy. I'm saying to him, 17 and 42, Jalen Sneed, Nolan Ziegler, get him on the field some way, somehow. Even if there's not starters, they better have a role. That's simple as that. And then I'm going, and after that conversation, I'm going to the office with Coach Washington, and I'm going to say this number 40 needs to have a role. He doesn't have to be my starter. I got it. Jordan Patelho, we have great expectations, but you better figure it out and figure out a way to get 40 onto the field. That's Josh Burnham. Figure it out, right? And if you can't do that, then that answers a lot of questions that I have about what my staff needs to look like next year. Right. That's what I would say to both of them. Just like last year was like, you better figure out a way to get 20 into the rotation some way, somehow. Now, I didn't expect Benjamin Morrison to start, but you better figure out a way to get him in the mix somehow. <clears throat> and Mike Mickens did that. And I'm not, I'm not saying Mike Mickens was given that ultimatum. I think Mike Mickens would have done that anyway. And I don't think he was given that ultimatum. I think Marcus Freeman had a lot of other things to worry things about. To worry about. That, right? <laughs> but those things have been established now. Now he can start yeah. to do more dictating of that. Yeah. And I would like to see him do that a little bit more on defense. Offensively, I understand that's not necessarily your side of the ball, but you still need to be able to look and say, hey, hey, 25, if we're not getting 25 some touches, what, what are we doing here? Right. If we're not getting 15 more more snaps and touches, what are we doing here? Right. Right. I mean, and so th- that those are things that I hope Coach Freeman takes a little bit more of a 
hands-on approach in that regard. I'm not saying they got to start. I'm not dictating your lineup. But what I am telling you, that guy needs to play more. Figure it out. Figure it out. We'll see if he can or can't. Stephen Doty. Stephen Doty said, uh, just got out of knee surgery. So if you've already hit this, then ignore. Well, hey, first of all, uh, we 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 did kind of talk about your questions and we'll address it a little bit. But man, I hope that your surgery went well. I hope for a nice, easy uh, recovery process. I don't know what kind of knee surgery you had. Hopefully it wasn't too severe, but uh, definitely be in, in, in my thoughts and prayers. And, and I'm sure Sean's as well. Uh, to your question, we, we sort of addressed it a little bit in the past, but I do think it requires discussion here, Sean, is part of the deal is if you're going to, if you're going to put Jared Parker in as the offensive coordinator, you better give him the tools to be successful. And to Steven's question, your thoughts on having Joe Rudolph and Gino Gaduli on staff with Jared Parker, two former offensive coordinators without expertise to help Jared Parker grow and support each phase. I don't think that was an accident. Yeah. that he brought in two guys that have that level of experience <clears throat> in that particular role. And I think that is uh wise staff building. Yeah. Understanding, right. And all that getting, getting an understanding. You have two coaches that can get an understanding of what Jared Parker wants and what he wants to do and then go and be able to get their positional groups to do that at the highest level of, you know, their play. And I don't think initially that might have been his thought process, but it ended up being the best of both worlds, per se, as opposed to what he might have wanted, as opposed to, okay, you know what? The way things have shifted, this is the best way to go in making this change. And I feel like it was actually a blessing in disguise to have a quarterback coach with Jared Parker and now Joe Rudolph, who in a lot of ways is similar to Harry Heastan that can come in, has the initial respect of the offensive line room and can continue to build off of that and probably bring some of his little teachings that are a little bit different, but can kind of extend upon developing the offensive linemen and the depth they have in the offensive line room. So it's definitely an advantage without question. The expertise, uh, Joe Rudolph being an OC before means that he can understand what Jared Parker is trying to do and what he might be thinking. Like he can understand the language of the of an OC. Gino Gaduli has called plays before. He can understand the language. So, yo, you given the tools, but more than that, giving comfort to a first time offensive coordinator. That for me, Jared Parker has to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't want people on the staff where he might feel like you know, they're looking over his shoulder. It's not kind of – everybody's pulling in the same direction. That's the way I feel on the staff. Everyone's going to be pulling in the same direction, and that's to make sure that Jared Parker has everything he needs to be successful as the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. So, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't say for sure that that's why Marcus Freeman targeted those two coaches specifically. I'll say this, Sean, and I'm curious your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. I'd be shocked, shocked if that wasn't a part of his calculation. Was it the driving force? No, I think the driving force is what we mentioned earlier. I, mm-hmm. I want people are going to buy into my vision for building a football program, 100%. But I think beyond that, I think this was another key ingredient to why they were his picks. Mm-hmm. Because I believe in Jared Parker. Is This is speaking for Coach Freeman. Yeah. 
I believe in Jared Parker. That's why I brought him in. That's why I brought him in to begin with. It was eventually he was going to run my offense. Maybe it's a little a year too soon, or not a year too soon, a year sooner than I anticipated. Than I anticipated. Because you knew Tommy Reese is going to be gone in the next couple of years. I mean, just you just you knew that two to three years at the most. So let me make sure that I'm surrounding him with people that can help build him up. Not people that are going to not threaten him and not challenge him because that's not what winning teams do. Right. 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 I'm not going to not bring in David Cutcliffe because I'm afraid he's going to challenge me. I'm not going to not want Jamarcus Shepard to be my receivers coach because I'm afraid he's going to challenge me. Like just some different things like that. Not saying that happened. I'm just saying like those are things that were we, we discussed a year ago. It's okay. I'm bringing in this guy because of his expertise. Yeah. And because I don't have it or my OC doesn't have it. And I think that's what good coaches should want. Hey, I know what I don't know. I know you do. So let's work together and get this thing going. And if what I've been told about Jared Parker holds true, Sean, he's going to be a guy that believes in the staff has to be a, has to, ha, the more guys with good ideas, the better, as long as we all understand once a decision is made, we're, we're all supporting and rolling with it. I think that's what the best coaches do.